Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Plumes of smoke from hundreds of Canadian wildfires are swooping south into the eastern U.S. There are air quality alerts posted as far south as South Carolina. The EPA says the most unhealthy air now is in eastern Pennsylvania and parts of Delaware, Maryland and New Jersey. Authorities in New York expect the smoky skies to affect air quality for a few more days. From member station WAMC, Ian Pickus reports. Governor Kathy Hochul is calling on school districts to cancel outdoor activities, and health officials are urging New Yorkers to limit strenuous outdoor activity in areas under air quality alerts. They're also noting that N95 masks offer protection against this type of air pollution. Basil Sagos is commissioner of New York's Department of Environmental Conservation. This Dickensian skyline across New York City and many of the other uh, upstate cities, um, it certainly is unprecedented, at least since 2002. It's the worst air we've seen. Authorities say people with lung and heart problems should stay indoors as much as possible. Hochul's administration is also encouraging employers to limit outdoor and strenuous work. For NPR News, I'm Ian Pickus in Albany. Britain's Prime Minister visits the White House today. NPR's Lauren Freyer reports from London that Ukraine, the economy, and artificial intelligence will be on the agenda. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak wants to show that post-Brexit, Britain very much remains an essential U.S. ally. The U.S. and U.K. are the two biggest military donors to Ukraine and the biggest contributors to NATO. Sunak also wants to discuss closer economic ties and the possibility of a global AI watchdog based in London. NPR's Lauren Freyer reporting. President Biden will also host a Pride event at the White House tonight for LGBTQ families. He'll announce new actions to address discrimination against LGBTQ Americans. That includes naming a new official at the Education Department who will address an increase in book bans. Vice President Harris will be in the Bahamas today. NPR's Tamara Keith reports this is the vice president's fourth meeting with Caribbean leaders. Climate change, gun trafficking, and disaster resilience are all on the agenda, along with the announcement of $100 million in new assistance for the region. But perhaps the largest challenge looming over this U.S.-Caribbean leaders' meeting is the security and humanitarian crisis in Haiti. A senior administration official told reporters the situation there is worsening and will not improve without armed security assistance from the international community. But the official added, any decision about military force would be made with the United Nations and the government of Haiti. Those discussions are ongoing and expected to continue during today's gathering. Tamara Keith, NPR News. You're listening to NPR News. I'm Rupa Shanoi. This is WBUR in Boston. Our air quality won't be as bad as New York or Washington today, but it's not ideal. That's because of the smoke from wildfires in Canada. State data show our air quality is in the moderate level in Boston right now. In Springfield and Pittsfield, it's at the unhealthy level. National Weather Service meteorologist Rob Magnia says changing weather patterns could improve conditions. Typically, when we get into summer months, um, you know, the general flow of the atmosphere starts to get a, a little bit weaker. Um, so as, a, you know, the circulation gets weaker, it's going to be harder for, uh, to transport that poor air further south. Until then, as Adam Frenier reports, some medical experts are urging people to take steps to protect themselves. Berkshire Medical Center in Pittsfield says it has seen a recent uptick in respiratory illness cases in its emergency room, but several other hospitals say that has not been the case. 
Dr. James Mazo is with Trinity Health, which operates Mercy Medical Center in Springfield. He says the very young, the very old, and people with health conditions should consider staying inside right now. He also says those venturing out should monitor their own health. You may notice that your chest might feel a little bit heavy. You might have some irritation, and you may have a, a slight cough that's unusual for you. So those are signs that you should really go inside and take it easy. And Mazo says N95 masks, a familiar tool against COVID, could also provide protection from the smoke. For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Adam Franier. Members of the state's congressional delegation are asking federal officials for help addressing a budget mistake. State leaders revealed last week that $2.5 billion in federal aid was used to pay jobless benefits during the pandemic. That money should have come from state funds, and now the state could be required to pay the feds back. The delegation is asking the U.S. Labor Department to come up with a solution. State lawmakers are considering restrictions on when and how unmanned drones can be used by law enforcement. State Senator Michael Moore of Shrewsbury says while drones can be very helpful to police, there are concerns about privacy. He says the bill requires warrants for drone surveillance during criminal investigations, but there would be some exemptions. This bill includes clear exemptions for the emergency scenarios for when there is reasonable cause to believe that a person's life or safety is in danger. Moore says the bill was drafted with assistance from the American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts. Leaders in Worcester are pushing back against a report that claims the city's new ballpark will lead to massive deficits. The report last month from the College of the Holy Cross said the city used flawed methods to justify spending money on Polar Park. But the city manager in Worcester now says the ballpark and surrounding development are actually on track to raise revenues. The Telegram and Gazette reports the city expects to reap $50 million from the stadium over its its 30-year lifespan. It's 7.07. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by MIT Museum with captivating exhibitions and dynamic programming that turn MIT inside out. Curious what the buzz is about? Plan your visit today. And Metro West Subaru, where same-day and next-day service appointments are available. Service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick. The Red Sox lost to the Guardians 5-2 last night in Cleveland. The teams will wrap up their three-game series tonight. In your forecast, cloudy this morning with some scattered showers this afternoon. It'll be in the 60s. More clouds and showers overnight with temperatures in the 50s. Clouds and showers again tomorrow back to the 60s. It's the same forecast for Saturday. Right now, it's 56 degrees in Boston. Thanks for starting your day with WBUR. WBUR supporters include Charles Schwab, dedicated to serving clients with 24-7 live support. The people at Schwab are committed to helping clients on their investing journey. Learn more at schwab.com. I'm Deepa Fernandez. From news headlines to deeper dives into issues of real consequence, from Morning Edition to All Things Considered, from stories online at WBUR.org to conversations on stage at City Space. Everything you get from WBUR depends on a solid foundation of listener support. Help us get to our June fundraiser goal to keep our journalism strong. Here's how to help. 
Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. You're listening to Morning Edition on WBUR. This is the last day of our short June fundraiser. We're asking 700 people to join as monthly contributors, and we're asking you to be one of them, especially right now, because there is a dollar-for-dollar match on the table. A group of dedicated WBUR listeners want you to join as monthly contributors because monthly contributions are the best way to support WBUR. They make it possible for us to plan to do the reporting that you depend on. All of what you're hearing this morning, all of what you've heard this week, is only possible because of listeners who support the WBUR community monthly. All you have to do is join them in order to feel that you are taking responsibility for this important service, and your community will be grateful. We will be grateful. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. You know, we do these fundraisers. We, we come in just, you know, every several months or so to remind you that WBUR is mostly supported by listeners, that, that listeners make everything possible that you hear, that we, we literally do not exist without you. But if everyone listening out there became became a monthly supporter, became a sustaining member, you wouldn't need that reminder from us, right? You would just know that you have our back month to month. We have yours day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. So this is why we're asking you to become a monthly sustainer, especially right now when that monthly gift is matched dollar for dollar for a year. $10 a month becomes $20 a month. $20 a month becomes $40 a month. We're asking you to sustain us so that you don't need those little reminders. You know we have your back and you have ours. Have you ever wondered how you would feel if tomorrow you woke up and public radio was just gone. Oh man, that would be tough. I think it would be devastating. Well, I would grieve because there would be no replacement for it. We asked listeners around the country that very question. I've been listening to NPR for a long time. So NPR has been a giant part of my life and I would be devastated if it wasn't there anymore. It would be a very depressing ride to work. I don't know if there's enough cups of coffee in the world that would be able to get me over that. There, There really is nothing else like it. We donate, but there's a lot of people out there that listen that probably don't donate, and I think uh, that's a really great thing to put into perspective is how would you feel? There's an easy way to feel good about public radio and the financial health of your station. Just support it. Really, do it right now. Call or go online. Your tax-deductible contribution will help ensure public radio isn't going anywhere. It'll be here when you turn on your radio tomorrow. And thanks. Do it now because this is the last day of our June fundraiser. This is the fundraiser that we hold just before our fiscal year ends to make sure that we have the money we need to all through next year to do the planning, to do the reporting that we know that you and your community depend on. You're doing this for your community. You know that keeping a community informed is the foundation of a strong democracy, and strong democracy is so important right now. WBUR's future as that important service for your community is not guaranteed. We're not, we're always going to be free and available to everyone who wants to listen, and we are so grateful to everyone who wants to listen. But we need your monthly support if you can step up to support us on a monthly basis because giving monthly is the best thing you can do to secure a strong future for the journalism we all need every morning. I turn to WBUR every morning when I'm not <laughs> when on the weekends and stuff like that. I don't need, know what's going on without WBUR. I have to listen. 
I depend on WBUR. You depend on WBUR. We need you to show that you value what you hear here every morning because we need your support. It's nine. It, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 and do it today because this is the last day of our June fundraiser and we need you to step up and be one of the 700 people we're trying to bring on as monthly contributors. You can be one of them. You will feel proud of that and we will be so grateful. Thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Babson College. The Babson MBA helps you become a professional who takes action, leads with confidence, and tackles complex global challenges. Acquire the highly sought-after entrepreneurial mindset with a Babson MBA, ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News & World Report. Visit babson.edu MBA. And BMW. The BMW i4 has a range of up to 301 miles. It's 100% electric and 100% BMW. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Asma Khalid in Washington. And I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. Coming up, imagine a household water bill so big it could wipe out hopes for a new car. First, though, we look at Canada, where hundreds of U.S. firefighters are joining the battle against wildfires. Yeah, this comes as people across much of the eastern United States are waking up today to dangerously polluted air. Flights have been grounded, a New York Yankees game has been canceled, and schools are keeping kids indoors. Environment reporter Jacob Fenston joins us now from member station WAMU in Washington, D.C. Jacob, you're right in the path of that smoke. How bad is the air there? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, I, I, you know, I noticed the first thing yesterday morning, I was on a bike ride going down a hill where usually there's a great view of the Washington Monument. Uh, you could barely see it. You know, I had to t- stop and take a picture. Um, so if you're familiar with the air quality index or AQI, it's been, you know, between 150 and 200, which is considered code red or unhealthy air for the general public. You can really smell it outside. But it's been worse elsewhere, you know, in New York, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and now moving south into Maryland, they've had what's considered hazardous air. So like, yeah, Major League Baseball games postponed, Broadway performances canceled. Um, It was really one of the worst wildfire exposure um, events in recent U.S. history, exposing tens of millions of people in the most densely populated part of the country. And how uncommon is this sort of air quality in eastern states? It's really new. I mean, just to give you one data point here in D.C., our worst air quality days are almost always on 4th of July because of, you know, the big fireworks displays. So yesterday was the first time we've had a code red air quality day outside of 4th of July in two decades. Um, You know, so it's just not something we're prepared for. It's like the earthquake here in 2011. Um, So, you know, just one little example. Um, I have elementary school kids D.C. public schools waited until after school started yesterday to announce like, oh, we're going to keep kids inside during recess and outdoor sports so or cancel outdoor sports. So parents were just really left wondering, like, is my kid going to be exposed to unhealthy air outdoors at, at school? Yeah, you're getting a little slice of California life there. Um, when's the air supposed mm-hmm. to clear up? It depends a lot on the local weather conditions, on what happens, you know, in Canada with the fires. But the smoky air is likely to stick around at least today and into tomorrow. You know, in the meantime, officials are telling people, keep an eye on that local air quality and stay indoors if you can, especially keep kids inside and people with any kind of heart or uh, lung conditions. Now, this is smoke from fires in eastern Canada, mostly in Quebec. Uh, Are fires particularly bad this year? And, And what's going on? Why are they so bad? 
Yeah, um, I mean, it has a lot to do just with the lack of rain. I mean, just here in D.C., for example, last uh, May was the driest May on record since 1999. Um, it's been really hot in Canada, breaking temperature records. And so those things create the conditions that make fires much more likely. And across Canada, it's just been a terrible start to the, the fire season. So far this year, they've had 10 times more acres burn compared to the 10-year average. And, you know, this is what it means to be living on a warming planet. On the East Coast, you know, we're used to thinking a lot about um, climate impacts like flooding and extreme heat, but more wildfires and more wildfire smoke like this, these are things that we can expect to become more likely because of global warming. That's WAMU's Jacob Fenston. Keep some uh, eye drops handy, Jacob. Yeah, thank you. Former President Trump is the target of a probe into handling of classified documents after he left office. A source tells NPR that his lawyers were notified by the Justice Department. That notice gives lawyers a chance to argue against an indictment. People who get target letters are usually charged with a crime, but not always. And in a post on his social media platform, the former president, Donald Trump, said, quote, no one has told me I'm being indicted and I shouldn't be because I've done nothing wrong. NPR Justice correspondent Kerry Johnson has been reporting on the investigation. Kerry, what do we know about the latest in this uh, Mar-a-Lago documents probe? TV cameras caught Taylor Budowich going into the courthouse in Miami yesterday. He was an aide to Trump in the White House. He now runs a political action committee that supports Trump. And after his testimony, Budowich tweeted he was obligated to testify before the grand jury and that he answered the questions honestly. Then he bashed the current president, Joe Biden, and promised to help reelect Trump. As for what he was asked in the grand jury, here's what we know. Budowicz was kind of a go-between for Trump and the media on some statements about the investigation into secret documents the FBI found at Trump's resort Mar-a-Lago, and that investigation into possible obstruction and retention of defense information has been really active. Active. Um, We've reported on Morning Edition mostly active in Washington, so why is there a grand jury in Florida now? The special counsel, Jack Smith, is not explaining why he's now working in Miami as well as in D.C., but for a few weeks now I've heard about grand jury subpoenas going out from Florida, and there could be good reasons for that. If prosecutors are investigating conduct that happened at Mar-a-Lago, like possible obstruction, they may think they need to bring charges there at the scene of the alleged crime. Trump's lawyers have received notice from DOJ. He's the target of the probe, and under DOJ rules, targets are supposed to get reasonable notice before they're in indicted. Sometimes indictments will follow. Often they will, but not always. All right. So we're talking about the documents probe, but that's uh, not the only investigation Jack Smith is heading. That's right. Jack Smith is also looking into uh, an effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election, including plans to substitute fake slates of electors. You know, it's some people's full-time job to stay at the federal courthouse in Washington and watch who's coming into the building and figure out how close they are to former President Trump. And A, it's really hard to get closer to a president than being chief of staff at the White House. This week, the New York Times reported and NPRs confirmed that Trump's last Chief of Staff Mark Meadows testified to a grand jury. It's not clear what Meadows said in that closed-door proceeding, but he was with Trump in the White House in the days leading up to January 6th and on his final day when Trump declassified certain documents. Meadows' lawyer says Meadows has maintained a commitment to tell the truth where he has a legal obligation to do so. I right, mentioned that President Trump or former President Trump says he's done nothing wrong. What else has he said? 
Yeah, Trump has sent out fundraising appeals this week based on the activity in the grand jury. He blasted what he calls never-ending witch hunts, even though his last attorney general, Bill Barr, told CBS this week the documents probe is not a witch hunt and that Trump's response to the government demand for documents has basically forced the Justice Department's hand and made it hard to not charge Trump with wrongdoing. We know this week Trump's lawyers met with Justice Department officials. There are signs that investigation may be reaching an endpoint. Okay, for now, Trump is the front runner for the Republican presidential nomination next year. Campaigns, though, are starting to heat up. So how quickly is the Justice Department going to move on this? Attorney General Merrick Garland has handed off day-to-day supervision of these Trump investigations to the special counsel. And remember, Jack Smith used to run the Public Integrity Unit at the DOJ earlier in his career, so it's safe to say he's aware of the political calendar and the first Republican debate that's currently scheduled for August. And for his part, Donald Trump has complained about investigations smack in the middle of his campaign, which he says is not supposed to happen. NPR's Carrie Johnson. We'll talk again soon, Carrie. Thank you. Water leaks at home waste nearly a trillion gallons of water each year in the U.S. They can also run up huge water bills. Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom reports on one such bill and why the tech to prevent it is not commonplace. Sometimes a leak is pretty obvious, like the dripping shower in the townhouse Megan Taylor rented near Birmingham. She hired a plumber to fix it last year. Other times, it's more ominous, like when the same plumber noticed the home's water meter spinning like a pinwheel. He just saw the water meter, like, circling itself, like the you could actually see the needle on it going round and round and round. Turns out, Megan Taylor and her husband Will had another way worse leak on their hands. They lost enough water to more than fill an Olympic-sized swimming pool. They suspect it went into a storm drain, so they never noticed it. They called their water provider, Birmingham Waterworks, and were told nothing could be done until after the bill arrived. So we we got this bill. This bill right in front of you. This, I'm, I'm reading the bill. <laughs> um, it says total account balance, $19,526.57. $20,000, a huge setback for their dreams of owning their own home. After weeks of phone calls and emails, Birmingham Waterworks agreed to cut the bill down to about $4,000. Which is still a lot of money. It's still a lot of money. (laughs) It's still a lot of money. (laughs) It is still a lot of money. Now, Will does think this was fair. After all, the leak was on their side of the property line. But he says the utility should have had some way to detect the leak way before it got to this point. If there was some sort of smart reader in place that could tell you, Hey, Will, uh, you're using 10 times more water this month than you were last month. Is everything okay? Something like that could have prevented this way before 800,000 gallons of water had gone down the drain. And that thing already exists. Smart water meters. These meters automatically track and transmit how much water a home uses, and water experts say that could have helped here. Tech like that is common for power companies to track electricity, But for water, the norm is still to have a worker physically go to each house once a month and read the water meter box. Water is, I don't know, let's just say 10 years behind electricity. Alan Berthold is with the Texas Water Resources um, Institute. He says unlike an electric meter, water meters are more complicated to keep running properly. When you have a water meter, it's underground, it's battery powered, and you have to have a strong enough battery to be able to get the signal out. 
really, this doesn't make smart meters impossible. They just come with a steep upfront cost. Lots of big utilities like New York City made the shift years ago, while others like New Orleans are doing it right now. But the country's many smaller water providers have been slow to switch over. Birmingham Waterworks is still in the early planning phases discussing a move to smart meters. As for Megan and Will Taylor, despite the nearly $4,000 water bill setback, they were recently able to buy a beautiful new home surrounded by big trees. And it has a septic tank, which we're so thrilled. Septic tank over sewage fees. While they still get their water from Birmingham Waterworks, they'd rather give the utility as little money as possible. For NPR News, I'm Stephen Basaha in Birmingham. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, powering the Engineering Design Workshop exhibit at the Museum of Science. MathWorks.com slash MOS. And the Peabody Essex Museum, presenting As We Rise, Photography from the Black Atlantic, opens June 17th. More at PEM.org. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. I believe real journalism is essential to our daily life and our collective future. I believe public radio is one of the last great hopes for journalism in our country. If you believe these things too, then I'm asking you to start a monthly contribution to WBUR. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, maybe just $10 to $15 a month. It'll go a long way to protect one of life's essentials. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. This is Morning Edition on WBUR. Thanks so much for starting your Thursday morning with us. And if you can, we're coming to you on this last day of our June fundraiser to ask you to give now and to give monthly. Our goal is for 700 people to become monthly contributors It's important to give now because this is the last day to give. And right now, there's a dollar-for-dollar match being offered by a group of dedicated WBUR listeners. They're putting their money on the table to encourage you to join the listeners who make up the foundation of WBUR. You can be proud to turn on the radio every day or start the WBUR app or say play WBUR to your smart speaker and know that you have made the important news you hear possible because it doesn't happen without you. That stable, reliable support from you is what makes it possible for us to plan to deliver back to you the news and information that you depend on that you want to keep coming to keep your community informed. So please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy here with the host of the Endless Thread podcast, Amory Sievertson. Ooh, Rupa's fired up. I love it. Hey, Rupa. (laughs) Yes, this is it. This is the last day, my fellow procrastinators. We can wait no longer. This is the last day of our June fundraiser. We have a dollar-for-dollar match on the table put forth by generous listeners uh, put there to inspire you, to encourage you, to say, hey, you know what? This is how this works. Everybody just gives what they can, but it's important that you do give because if you rely on WBUR, and I know that you do, if you can't imagine a morning without WBUR, and I know that you can't because we're just, we're part of it. You're with us here. Be with us. Be behind us. You know, be with us in supporting us. Be behind us with your dollars, with a dollar for dollar match (laughs) on the table, a monthly gift that says, hey, I've got your back. $10 a month becomes $20 a month. $15 
$15 a month becomes $30 a month. If you can give a larger gift right now, that will also be matched. So if you can give, say, $100 a month to WBUR, that's going to become $200 just because you did it right now on this last day, last chance to become a part of this. 1-800-909-9287 or give online, WBUR.org. Hey there, it's Tamara Keith from NPR. I thrive on deadlines. I don't think I'd get anything done without them. Just ask my editor. If you're the same way, I'm here to help you out with a little nudge to get something important done. I'm going to give you a deadline for donating to this station. You can knock it out in five minutes, I swear. Start a timer. Your deadline is now. Here's how to give. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. That was Tamara Keith right, right there. One, I'm a, a little bit of a super fan of Tamara Keith. Oh, yeah. Just like she has such universal knowledge of everything political going on in D.C. She's also on the PBS NewsHour, which I am also kind of a super fan of. <laughs> and you Public can, media. Yes. Yes, definitely. These are the people that you depend on. You know that whatever you hear from them has been like the the learning behind it is deep. The knowledge is considerable. These are the experts in your life that you can turn to every morning. Be part of the movement that makes it possible for these people to continue coming to you. And do it now when some generous listeners have put up their own money to make sure that they will match your contribution dollar for dollar. They know it's important for you to be part of sustaining WBUR for the future because our future is not not guaranteed. It depends on you. So get your monthly support doubled now and give WBUR the resources we need to keep bringing you the important news you hear on Morning Edition. Think how much you learn, how much more you know every morning when you listen to WBUR. I mean, I I don't have enough time right now, but in the next break, I'll tell you, I'll give you some more examples. We have a goal of bringing on 700 people who can give monthly. You can be one of them. You can help WBUR be there in the future. You will be responsible for that, and you will be proud of that. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you so much. Support for NPR comes from this station and from EBSCO currently hiring and committed to letting people thrive. Information about hybrid and remote positions is at careers.ebsco.com. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Metamucil, a fiber supplement containing psyllium, a plant-based fiber for trapping and removing waste in the digestive system, designed to be taken every day. More at metamucil.com. From BritBox, with season two of The Tower, starring Gemma Whalen, This and more police dramas, including Line of Duty and The Responder, starring Martin Freeman. Streaming at BritBox.com slash NPR. And from the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation at MacFound.org. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. People living in much of the eastern half of the U.S. are under advisories for poor air quality because of smoke from wildfires in Canada. They include millions of people from New York City to Washington, D.C. Here's New York Governor Kathy Hochul. I'm going to ask everyone to be very careful about having their own fires at their homes, their barbecues, their backyards, open fires in every part of the state of New York because the last thing we want to do is contribute to this problem. 
Health experts are advising people to limit outdoor activities. Dozens of fires are burning out of control across numerous Canadian provinces. President Biden spoke with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau yesterday and pledged to provide more personnel and firefighting equipment to Canada. Actor Jay Johnston is facing charges in connection with the January 6th attack at the U.S. Capitol. NPR's Deepa Shivaram says Johnston is accused of taking part in the riot. Court documents state that Johnston helped pour water on the faces of rioters who had been pepper sprayed by law enforcement and was seen carrying a shield that belonged to U.S. Capitol Police. The actor faces charges of obstructing officers during civil disorder, which is a felony. He also faces several misdemeanor charges. Prosecutors have charged more than 1,000 people in relation to the insurrection. Deepa Shivaram, NPR News, Washington. This is NPR News from Washington. This is WBUR in Boston. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Boston City Councilors do not plan to advance Mayor Wu's budget proposal. The council originally approved its own amended budget yesterday, but then two councilors overturned their votes in favor. It's unclear why they changed their minds. The votes would have sent the $4 billion budget to the mayor for her final approval. The group now has until Wednesday to submit its changes or the mayor's original budget will go into effect. Governor Healy is extending a moratorium on tree cutting on state-owned land for another six months. She's appointing a panel of scientists to help her administration determine the best forest practices to protect the climate. Among them is David Foster, a professor emeritus from Harvard Forest. He wants forests to be protected from development. But Society uses a lot of wood, and we need to get that wood from somewhere, and it would be better for Massachusetts to get a substantial amount of that wood from its own backyard. Glenn Ayers is a member of the Trees as a Public Good Network. He doesn't want any trees cut on public land ever again. Right now, our lands are being degraded. Their ability to capture and store carbon is being degraded. And we can't keep doing that in a climate emergency. We have to change. The Healy administration hopes to have new guidelines on logging out by the end of the year. Today is World Ocean Day, a day established by the U.N. to highlight the vital role the ocean plays in our lives. The New England Aquarium says doing that is part of its mission. Taylor Engelsman is the aquarium's associate director of content and evaluation. It goes to the heart of our mission to ensure a vital and vibrant ocean for future generations. So it's really an opportunity to educate folks on this incredible and essential resource that is our one global ocean. The aquarium is using World Ocean Day to highlight its effort called 30 by 30, a push to protect 30 percent of the world's land and water by the year 2030. It's 735. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Perkins School for the Blind, global leader in education for children with disabilities. Help more of them access education at perkins.org slash changing lives. Some bad defense sank the Red Sox last night in Cleveland. They lost to the Guardians 5-2. The teams will play again tonight. Overcast with highs in the mid-60s today, there's a chance of mid-afternoon showers. Tonight, still overcast with more rain possible and in the 
low 50s. Tomorrow, about the same as today, overcast and highs in the mid-60s. There's a good chance of showers and thunderstorms in the evening and overnight. Right now, it's 56 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station and from your part-time controller, specializing in nonprofit accounting. Your part-time controller helps nonprofit organizations with their accounting needs, remotely or in person. More at yourparttimecontroller.com. And from the Nature Conservancy, partnering with communities across the globe to find solutions to the climate and biodiversity crises, committed to building a future where people and nature can thrive. Nature.org slash solutions. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Amy Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Asma Khalid in Washington, D.C. First, there was Boris Johnson and Brexit. Then lots of political turmoil. But Britain is back. At least that is the message UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will be trying to convey when he meets President Biden today. They've met several times, but this is Sunak's first trip to the White House. NPR's Lauren Freyer reports from London. When Rishi Sunak became UK Prime Minister last year, it was right around the Indian holiday of Diwali. And Sunak is the first UK Prime Minister of Indian descent. So President Biden gave him a shout out at the White House Diwali party. Rashi Sunak is now the Prime Minister. But he slaughtered his name. Then when Biden did back-to-back phone calls with NATO allies months later. German Chancellor Schultz, French President Macron, Prime Minister Sanuk. He did it again. So did his press secretary. President Biden looks forward to speaking with Minister Sanuk, Sanuk. Which left some here in London with the impression the Biden administration hadn't learned who the UK prime minister is. When Biden came to the region in April for the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday peace accords, it was an opportunity to make amends. But he spent four days in Ireland and only a half day on the UK side. Biden later told a fundraiser in New York that he only went to, quote, make sure the Brits didn't screw around. I don't think any of it was a snub. I think Biden does speak, you know, off the cuff. We know he cares about Ireland, but he also really cares about the United Kingdom. Karen von Hippel is a former U.S. official who runs a think tank in London. She says Biden actually really values the so-called special relationship with the U.K. President Biden is the old-fashioned Atlanticist American president, cares a lot about partnerships and alliances. Alliances like NATO, key to U.S. and U.K. security, especially since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Kim Darek, a former U.K. ambassador to Washington, says today's talks will focus on Ukraine, where the U.K. is still very much a player. There has been an unusual level of political turbulence. Sunak, though, will want to get the impression across that stability has been restored. As for Britain's place in the world, with the second biggest contributor in terms of military assistance to Ukraine, we are the second largest contributor to NATO. There's no question, I think, that we can still bring something to the table. On the table is also the top job at NATO. Sunak wants Biden to back the UK defense secretary for it. He'd also love a trade deal with Washington. But there's little hope of the latter anytime soon, says political economist Mujtaba Rahlan. Perhaps there will be a carve-out for electric vehicles to effectively protect the UK car industry from the impact of subsidies the US is doling out. You know, can one trumpet that as a, as a major policy win compared to the ambition of a few years ago? It, it feels a bit small. 
A small takeaway for Sunak, whose conservative government is largely opposed to the kind of government spending that's become Biden's signature. Sunak may also pitch Biden on an artificial intelligence watchdog in London, Rahman explains. There's something of a scramble now by Sunak to try and forge an influential and important role in this very quickly emerging and maturing AI debate. I think it's going to be very hard. Because the European Union is a leader on AI, and Britain is no longer part of that. So as Mr. Sunak goes to Washington, he'll be looking for any wins, a photo op exuding stability, a continued role in talks on Ukraine, and hopefully a U.S. administration that's learned how to pronounce his name. Lauren Freyer, NPR News, London. The Salton Sea in Southern California is not a sea. It's the state's largest lake, and it might be delaying the region's next giant earthquake. That's right, possibly delaying the big one. That's according to a study just out in the journal Nature. The lake may be helping to keep stress off the southern portion of the San Andreas Fault, one of the world's largest faults. Joining us now for more on the study is reporter Eric Anderson with member station KPBS in San Diego. So Eric, let's start by giving us a sense of where the Salton Sea is, how it came to be, and why it's so important to seismologists. Yeah, it's located just north of Mexico, about 130 miles east of San Diego. The current lake was created by agricultural runoff after a berm broke back in 1905. Now, the Earth's crust is pretty thin here, which allows for plenty of geothermal energy. That's underground heat that can be tapped. And lots of small earthquakes. There have been just under a 1,000 measurable earthquakes in the past month, most of them, of course, too small to feel. And I'm guessing the San Andreas Fault has a lot to do with that. Yeah, it's at the southern end of that 800-mile-long San Andreas Fault. Now, the fault line, you might know, is famous for generating the damaging San Francisco earthquake back in 1906 and the Loma Prieta quake in 1989. Scientists fear that the next big rupture generated here at the southern end could be strong enough to send multiple damaging shockwaves through the Los Angeles Basin. That's a region where more than 14 million people live. And the study out in the journal Nature shows a connection between the size of the lake and its impacts on seismic activity. Tell us about that. Yeah, the study's author, Riley Hill, says that geological research allowed them to build a computer model that links the strong ruptures over time to times when the valley was filled with water. The Colorado River has filled this valley about six times over the past thousand years. And at times, the lake has held up to 30 times more water than the current sea does. Now, the weight of that water pushes down on the Earth's crust and it lubricates the faults, boosting chances for a big quake. And Hill says now that the Salton Sea is shrinking because of drought and less agricultural runoff, that means there is less pressure on the volatile southern tail of this earthquake fault system. It's a section that is currently locked, and it's been locked for 300 years, okay? Now, the last major rupture was uh, in 1725. And over the past 1,000 years, we've actually had probably six or seven large events. Scientists are puzzled why there hasn't been a major earthquake here in the last 300 years. Historical records show that one should have happened to every 180 years or so. A smaller lake does help ease pressure on the fault. Thing is, though, Eric, I mean, this is Southern California we're talking about here. This is an area that's primed for a quake, a lot of pent up energy there. That's got to worry seismologists. Yeah, Hill and others say that the longer the region goes without a major event, more seismic stress does build up, and that increases the chances 
that the next big earthquake on the southern San Andreas Fault could be the big one. But scientists also caution that the size of the lake in the Salton Trough is only one factor that influences seismic activity. There are many others. That's reporter Eric Anderson with KPBS in San Diego. Eric, thanks a lot. My pleasure. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Plymouth Rock Assurance, auto and home insurance that strives to treat you with kindness and humanity because they believe there's never been a better time for nice. PlymouthRock.com. And MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink, partnering with Mass Audubon to protect climate-resilient landscapes. MathWorks.com slash Mass Audubon. I'm Lisa Mullins. If you believe, as I do, that journalism is the lifeblood of democracy, then please start a monthly contribution to WBUR. We depend increasingly on you to contribute the funds to keep our journalism strong. So please start your monthly gift now at WBUR.org or by calling 1-800-909-9287. You're listening to Morning Edition on WBUR. We're in our short June fundraiser. This is the last day of it, so it's the last day for you to contribute. And we're asking for 700 people to join as monthly contributors. Monthly contributions are the reliable support we need to do the planning for future reporting that is vital to your life. And when you give now, you will have triple the impact for WBUR. A dedicated group of WBUR listeners have put up their their own money to triple whatever you give. That is such a great deal. Whatever you give, your impact will be tripled. And we all know what's happened in the journalism industry. Newspapers have been decimated. TV news is leaning hard on talking heads. Meanwhile, WBUR has stood the test. Help us maintain quality local journalism. We can't do that without your monthly support. And when you give right now, your impact will be tripled. You will do three times as much for WBUR. So give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Rupa Shanoi, here with the host of the Endless Thread podcast, Anne-Marie Sievertson. Good morning, Rupa. Good morning, you out there listening, thinking, hmm, last day. It's my it's my turn. It's my last chance to give in this June fundraiser, to give as we are figuring out our budgets for the next fiscal year here and saying, okay, what can WBUR do? What what will we be able to do? You know, give us the peace of mind of knowing that the same way that we have your back, you have ours. A generous group of listeners have stepped up to make sure that your impact goes three times as far. So you put a dollar down, they put two more on top of it for every single one of those dollars. You give $10 a month, they make that $30 a month. You give $20 a month, they make that $60 a month. You give $100 a month right now to WBUR, they will make that $300 a month. So this is the time on this last day of the fundraiser to, you know, to dig deep, to think about what WBUR brings to your life every single day. 
put a dollar amount to it. Maybe it's the average uh, $16 a month Mm -hmm. that people give. They'll make it $48 a month. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to do it. Go to WBUR.org. Here is our CEO, Margaret Lowe, talking just about, you know, how we're thinking about this time right now in journalism and supporting this kind of journalism. We have tens of thousands of supportive listeners, members, people who tell us that we're their lifeline, that even on the hardest news days, we remind them of their humanity. But the truth is, it's gotten harder and harder to find new members, and that scares us. I mean, it definitely keeps me up at night. Stations across the country are experiencing the same decline in the number of donors at a time when we know trustworthy information is so crucial to our collective well-being. So... My hope is that our listeners can help us buck this trend. We know that many of you listening spend more time with WBUR than you do with some of the people you love most. We also know that there are so many good causes to support. But if we matter in your life at all, if you can't imagine a day or a week without WBUR and NPR, we'd love to hear from you. That was our CEO, Margaret Lowe, giving it to us straight. These are tough times. And, you know, it can sound normal when you hear that on the radio, uh, a journalism leader talking about, you know, being worried. But actually, that's really quite unusual. That's, that, that is an example about how our, of our transparency. We come to you straight. We talk to you directly because we know that we can level with you. You, are, you have the same goal as us. Great news. Informative journalism. That is what everyone needs. These are tough times for a lot of people. A lot of these people are listeners, and we want them to always be able to listen, even if they can't give. You can help them and us at the same time by giving to WBUR. When you step up as a monthly contributor, you'll be making sure this important service continues for everyone in your community. This is the last day of our June fundraiser. Your contribution will be tripled. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Procter & Gamble, maker of Nervive Nerve Relief. Nervive is designed to reduce occasional nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort in hands or feet due to aging. Learn more at NerviveHealth.com. And from Indeed, a hiring platform for helping businesses of all sizes attract, interview, and hire candidates, all from one place. More at Indeed.com NPR. This is NPR. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Amy Martinez. And I'm Asma Khalid. In the Netflix teen drama, Never Have I Ever, Devi Vishwakumar is thirsty for boys. Buckle up for some steamy teen romance. Devi has two main love interests. There's her academic rival, the nerd, Ben Gross. You shouldn't wear so much makeup. It'll collect on your mustache. At least I can grow a mustache. My doctor says any day now. And then there's the hot guy, the popular star athlete Paxton Hall Yoshida. So, should we dance? Yeah. Okay. Davy is played by Maitreyi Ramakrishnan, who admits her character is messy. Davy is, after all, still dealing with the trauma of losing her dad. But as the show wraps up with its fourth and final season, Ramakrishnan says Davy has embraced self-love and acceptance. She has definitely grown as a young woman and to being someone who recognizes, like, hey, I am not as 
great off as I think I am mentally and I need to work on myself, which means, Mm -hmm. you know, truly loving yourself and being able to be comfortable with your own silence. Now in season four, we see who this person is and we've seen the result of all of her mistakes come in the form of, okay, I need to be better to not just myself, but my friends and my family and, you know, my loved ones. Mm-hmm. I imagine you personally do identify with some aspects of Davy's character, though I hope not all, because I'll be honest, she's kind of uh, <laughs> unlikable in some way. She's a little bit of a narcissist. Oh, yeah. She's kind of a lot. Um, I definitely, though, do relate to Davy in, in the ways that make her very human and are in the ways that a lot of people relate to her. Just when it comes to that self-love journey, when it comes to acknowledging the insecurities that we have and acknowledging like, hey, I feel a lot and I have a lot of emotions and sometimes I don't know what to do with them and I kind of freak out, Mm -hmm. you know, just all those ways that even if you're not a young brown woman watching the show, you still see yourself in Davy because she is kind of the ultimate mirror of our own insecurities and judgments. So one of the most interesting aspects of this show to me has been the mother-daughter relationship. Part of why, mm-hmm. I will say candidly, I love this show is that I never saw a teenage show like this growing up, right, with the brown girl yeah. as the main star. But yeah. also, I just think the mother-daughter relationship on screen is something we don't often see, right? Like, Davy is this headstrong teenager dealing with this strict South Asian mom, and it feels like they're constantly talking past one another. Andrew here was just thinking of buying Dad's old moped. What? You can't sell it. I'm almost 16. I could drive it. Sure. Then every year I can go leave flowers on the part of the highway where you died in a horrible accident. But it's Dad's. He wouldn't want you to sell it to a discount Luke Wilson. Dad's not here. It's my call. Mom, you're being such a Yeah, you better go to your room before I give you a smack. You're laughing, but those moments are so much a part of the show, I'm totally right? Laughing. Why? Why wouldn't you laugh at that? It's so, first of all, I remember praying that, like, at some point, Davy was going to be able to ride the moped. <laughs> yeah, that never happened. Well, we seen Whatever. Four, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> but tell, tell <sighs> me about this dynamic between Davy and her mom, because parts of it mm. felt relatable, but parts of it are also really distinct to what she's going through because she lost yeah. her dad. 100%. Especially the, the dynamic between the two of them, I think perfectly encapsulates a story of a young girl who is growing up in a coming-of-age story alongside her mother who is figuring out how to parent yeah. and is a work in progress, right? Nalani is not at all by any means perfect, and and she knows that, and she's still trying to figure it out, and I think that's very, very much so a relatable dynamic between any parent and their child, because, you know, that seems like how it works. I mean, my, my parents aren't perfect. I will never forget, like, the first time I saw my parents cry. I was like, whoa, you can do that? That's weird. Why are you, like, sad? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to just know what to do. And it's you have that moment in your life when you recognize, oh, wow, my parents aren't perfect. Oh, no. They're kind of just winging it. Yeah. Ah. You know, I found myself, as the season went on, really rooting for them, rooting for them to figure this yeah. all out. And rooting for, I will say, Davy, even though I said earlier, and I stand by this, she's kind of unlikable, she is kind of mean, but I still am rooting for her. I think... 
I, I mean, I totally, I totally get it. There's times where I question the choices that she makes and am legitimately worried about how redeemable her character can be at times. But then I also, A, remember she's literally a child. We have to remember she's 15. Mm. She's 15 years old and she lost her dad. Like, that is something... Her dad, who was also her, like, best friend. That is something just absolutely horrible yeah. for any child or any person to go through. So I also found myself rooting for Nalini and Davy because you want them to un- understand each other because who else do they have? Mm-hmm. It's so special when you can have an amazing relationship with your parent because it's definitely a blessing. In real life, would you be Team Paxton or Team Bay? <laughs> I'm Team definitely Davy. Um, I mean, I'm about um, team, let the young woman figure herself out, you know? So that is the character you identify with the most, you think? Or the one you'd be rooting for the most in real life? 100%. Because, I mean, it is kind of like an unfair question in the sense that, like, not even that I, it was because I played Davy, but rather because, I mean, she is the center of the show, so she does get, like, the most character arc. Mm -hmm. But yet again, her messiness, it's very real. We all have experienced the emotions that she has. Sure, have we gone about it in the same ways? No. But Davy's jealousy, we've been there. Davy's rage, we've been there. All of her insecurities, not feeling confident, not feeling pretty enough, not feeling like she's just enough, we've been there. At least I know I have. Maitrey Ramakrishnan is the star of the Netflix show Never Have I Ever. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thank you, thank you. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Serta Pro Painters, professional exterior and interior painting for your home or business. Learn more about their painting services at certapro.com. That's Serta with a C. And Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.com. Cloudy skies may give way to rain this afternoon. Temperatures will rise to the mid-60s. Tonight, more rain possible, and it falls to the low 50s. Then tomorrow, an overcast Friday in the mid-60s with a good chance of showers and thunderstorms in the evening. Right now, it's 57 degrees in Boston at 7.58. WVUR supporters include Metro West Subaru, where same-day and next-day service appointments are available. Service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick. You're listening to Morning Edition on WBUR. This is the last day of our short June fundraiser. We are asking 700 people to join as monthly contributors. This is your chance to show your support for WBUR, where you get content that you don't get anywhere else, like what you just heard. Former WBUR reporter Asma Khalid talking to the star of Never Have I Ever, putting culture and entertainment in context and helping us understand our world in so many different ways. Think about how NPR and WBUR connect the dots of your life. Help make you make sense of what's going on in the world absolutely every single morning. We are your reliable companion. 
every single morning whenever you turn to 90.9 or go to the WBUR app or go to WBUR.org or read one of our newsletters or listen to the common uh, one of our podcasts. So think about it and also think about how right now you can triple your impact for WBUR because there is a match on the table from a group of dedicated WBUR listeners who want you to step up and become a monthly contributor because monthly contributions are the best way to support WBUR. They help us plan for the future. So I'm going to get out of the way and let Amory Sievertson, the host of the Endless Thread podcast, tell you more. Oh, you're not in the... I'm here fist pumping everything you're saying. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so true. This this truly is when, when you think about, you know, how can I do the most for WBUR? How can I support this news station for myself and for this community that relies on it, that needs this lifeline, this connection to the truth when, when misinformation is rampant and it's so hard to make sense of, of what is actually happening? A monthly gift is how you do it. You give a little bit of money every month and you know that you have protected us and we will be there for you. And on top of that, the very best way to do it is when there's a triple match on the table like there is right now, which means that your $10 a month becomes $30 a month. Your $20 a month becomes $60 a month. Your $50 a month becomes $150 every single month for a year just because you gave right now. So monthly giving is the way to do it. Triple match is the way to have your money tripled, triple your impact. You'll feel smart. You'll feel great. Do it right now while this is on the table. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. WBUR.org. Last day of the fundraiser. Triple match. Do it now. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Nuance. Nuance is committed to helping physicians restore their work-life balance with DAX, an AI-powered solution that automates clinical documentation. Learn more at nuance.com slash WBUR. And Zoo New England. Zoo what makes you happy. Discover incredible wildlife and learn about nature at Boston's Franklin Park Zoo and Stone Zoo in Stoneham. ZooNewEngland.org. I'm WBUR State House reporter Steve Brown, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime on our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Air quality alerts are posted from New York as far south as South Carolina today. Smoke from Canadian wildfires is making air unhealthy for millions on the East Coast. President Biden has ordered the deployment of all available federal firefighting assets to help fight wildfires in Canada. Dan Karpinchuk reports the decision came after a phone call with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Trudeau says hundreds of American firefighters have recently come to Canada to help. Now he says more are on the way. In a tweet, Trudeau said he spoke with Joe Biden and thanked him for this critical support as Canada continues to battle devastating wildfires. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair says Canada has faced almost 2,300 wildfires, just over 400 still burning. During a briefing on Wednesday, the White House said that more than 600 U.S. firefighters and personnel, as well as water bombers, have already deployed to Canada. They've been joined by firefighters from Australia, New Zealand and South Africa in helping to tackle Canada's worst wildfire season on record. For NPR News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk in Toronto. NPR has learned former President Donald Trump has received notice he's the target of a federal criminal probe. 
NPR's Kerry Johnson reports Trump's lawyers got word from the special counsel investigating alleged violations related to classified documents. A source familiar with the probe into secret documents the FBI found at Trump's Florida resort says Trump is now a target of that investigation. Prosecutors are looking into possible obstruction and unlawful retention of papers related to the national defense. Trump says he has not been notified he's about to be indicted, but target notices typically go out to give potential defendants a chance to argue against criminal charges. Trump's attorneys met with officials at the Justice Department on Monday. In recent weeks, former Trump aides have testified before a grand jury in Miami. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. Advisors to the Food and Drug Administration meet today to discuss a possible new drug for preventing RSV in infants. As NPR's Ping Huang reports, that virus is the leading cause of hospitalization for babies in the U.S. RSV is a seasonal virus that lands 60 to 80,000 young children in the hospital every year. Most of those hospitalizations happen in the first year of life. Now the FDA is considering a new drug aimed at protecting infants from RSV. It's an injectable antibody that helps their immune systems fight the virus. Advisors to the FDA are meeting to review the data and discuss whether the drug is safe and effective. It's by the drug companies AstraZeneca and Sanofi, and it's designed to be given as a single shot for all babies before or during their first RSV seasons. Currently, there's only one drug for preventing RSV in babies, and it's only available to those at high risk. The FDA is also considering several vaccines against RSV in babies, though none have been approved. Ping Huang, NPR News. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. State environmental officials are recommending people with asthma or other respiratory issues to take precautions today. That's because of the smoke coming from wildfires in Canada. Right now, the air quality is moderate in the Boston area. National Weather Service meteorologist Rob Magnia says conditions are worse in the western half of the state. Their quality is marked as unhealthy right now. So that's pretty much the entire population. Uh, if people are outside too long, you m- might start to not feel very well, as opposed to those uh, across eastern Massachusetts where the air quality isn't as bad. The smoke is causing flight delays along the East Coast. The website FlightAware reports more than three dozen delayed flights in and out of Logan Airport. But so far, no cancellations. Worcester wants to plant thousands of trees to help combat climate change. The city is asking the federal government for money to plant 34,000 trees over the next five years. Those trees would give the city a better canopy cover to mitigate extreme heat. Planting could start quickly after the funding is approved, although some advocates tell the Telegram and Gazette that might not happen fast enough. A Massachusetts commission is looking at several ways to improve prison education programs across the state. Nirvani Williams reports the Healy administration is supportive of the group's ideas. One of those ways is for prisons to introduce education goals at the beginning of the intake process, says Michael Thomas, a co-chair on the commission. He says once incarcerated individuals have access to educational opportunities, it helps them re-enter society and puts them on a career path. It gives them skills and confidence and self-efficacy that they are otherwise challenged to feel in the carceral environment and really helps them to begin a process of directionalizing their lives. Thomas says the commission wants to place education and career navigators in prisons who can help incarcerated individuals fill out forms for the Second Chance Pell program, which pays for them to continue their education. 
For the New England News Collaborative, I'm Nirvani Williams. It's 8.07. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by BMW. The BMW i4 has a range of up to 301 miles. It's 100% electric and 100% BMW. The Red Sox fell to the Guardians 5-2 last night in Cleveland. The teams will play the rubber match of their three-game series tonight. Cloudy this morning with some scattered showers this afternoon. It'll be in the 60s. More clouds and showers overnight with temperatures in the 50s. Clouds and showers again tomorrow back to the 60s. It's the same forecast for Saturday. Right now it's 57 degrees in Boston. Thanks for starting your day with WBUR. WBUR supporters include Heather Sturt Haga and Paul G. Haga, supporting African Wildlife Foundation, working to ensure wildlife and wild lands thrive in modern Africa. Learn more at awf.org. I'm Tiziana Deering. From news headlines to deeper dives into issues of real consequence, from Morning Edition to All Things Considered, from stories online at WBUR.org to conversations on stage at City Space, everything you get from WBUR depends on a solid foundation of listener support. Help us get to our June fundraiser goal of 700 monthly contributors to keep our journalism strong. No reason to wait. Give at WBUR.org. You're listening to Morning Edition on WBUR. This is the last day of our short June fundraiser, and we're asking for 700 people to join as monthly contributors. We need to get this done. And what you need to know right now is that we have a triple match being offered. Some generous members gave this money to encourage you to join them in supporting WBUR. They will triple your monthly gift every month for the coming year. So if you give $16 a month, the average monthly gift, it would become $48 a month for WBUR for the next year. $20 a month becomes $60 a month for a year. $100 a month becomes $300 a month for a year. This is how you can help ensure a strong future for WBUR. This is the best way to support WBUR. A monthly contribution is what we need to do the planning we need to do to bring you what we bring you every morning. So join us while you still can. Time is running out in this fundraiser and this match. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi here with the host of the Endless Thread podcast, Amory Sievertson. Hey, Rupa. You know, the first time, Rupa, that I heard you say you're with WBUR on air. You te- you slacked I, me. I know. I sent you a little message right away and I said, did you just say you're with WBUR? I love that. I, I do. And I still love it every time I hear you say it. And I love that idea. Because that's so true. You're with WBUR. You choose to listen to WBUR every morning. You've chosen WBUR as your news source. And, you know, good on you, smart cookie, because we are the news source that brings fact-based, fact-checked, independent, thoughtful journalism, rigorous journalism, you know, stories that you don't hear anywhere else, perspectives that you don't hear anywhere else. There's a reason why you've chosen to be with WBUR. And right now on this last day of the fundraiser, we're asking you to really be with. WBUR, to be behind WBUR, to support the, the the journalism that you truly rely on. And we have a triple match on the table right now. Some generous listeners who are with WBUR and have been with us have stepped up to say, yes, be with us too. Be with us in any amount that feels right for you. Maybe it's $10 a month. These generous listeners will make that $30 a month for a year. Maybe you can do $20 a month. They're going to make that $60 a month for a 
full year just because you chose to be with WBUR and behind it right now on this last day of the fundraiser. The number is 1-800-909-9287. You can give online at WBUR.org. Think about how much you learn and how much more you know every morning when you listen to WBUR. In a little bit, you're going to hear from a Boston-area Catholic church staffer who's trying to bring make his community more inclusive for transgender people. Earlier this week and throughout this week, you've been hearing the latest updates on the collapse of the Ukrainian dam that's putting a nuclear power plant at risk. We've also been reporting about the debt ceiling deal and the fallout from that deal being passed, which is the paralyzation of the House of Representatives today. On our daily podcast, The Common, host Daryl C. Murphy is exploring dog etiquette as more restaurants and beer gardens take the city up on an opportunity to bring puppies in. That is an incredible variety of news and other content that enriches your life every single day. But WBUR's future is not guaranteed. Giving monthly is the the best thing you can do to secure a strong future for this journalism we all need. And you can, when you do that right now, your gift will be tripled by a group of WBUR listeners who want you to join them, who want you to be part of the community that makes WBUR possible and that ensures WBUR's future. Show how much WBUR means to you. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. How rare is it, Rupa, that, that someone just steps up and says, hey, you know what? I'll triple that for you. Mm-hmm. Let, let me just triple that. Why don't we just triple it, you know? <laughs> $16 a month. That's the average gift that people give. That becomes $48 a month. If you can do that $16 a month, that $20 a month, it'll become $60 a month. Man, take advantage of this. Have your money go three times as far to protect the news. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by AL Prime Energy Consultant, providing wholesale and retail fuel products. Located in more than 60 communities in and around greater Boston. ALPrime.com. And Simone Lee at the ICA. See why Lee was named one of Time's Top 100. Now on view, ICABoston.org. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Asma Khalid in Washington, D.C. Mexico has one of the highest murder rates in the world. Last year alone, more than 30,000 people were killed in the country, many of them ensnared in the ongoing violence between rival cartels. Now, Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador is publicly stating his willingness to negotiate peace deals with the country's most powerful cartels. It's an attempt to stop the bloodshed. His comments came after an activist whose brother went missing called on the cartels to end the practice of forced disappearances. For more, we're joined by Falco Ernst. He focuses on Mexico for the International Crisis Group. Uh, Thanks for being with us this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So I want to begin by understanding the current environment in Mexico. Let's just start by talking about how much power the cartels have in Mexico these days. So we are up against a huge security challenge in Mexico. The number of uh, criminal groups, active armed criminal groups in Mexico has more than doubled over the past decade. And we are uh, looking at about 200 um, non-state armed uh, groups active in Mexico on the ground today. And over the past and the current administration, they have been able to further accentuate their power over territories, populations, uh, illicit economies and uh, politics. 
and they're exercising great um, violence against um, especially civilian populations, which have been left vulnerable um, to their increasingly predatory practices. So when Obrador was elected, he had vowed to end Mexico's drug war, uh, promised essentially this non-confrontational approach with cartels. How has that gone? Has he done that? Well, um, he hasn't really done that so far, basically. There has been more continuity in spite of his uh, promises to dial down on uh, hard-handed anti-drug policies. And um, he has instead um, described a U-turn and sent more troops to the streets. And um, mm. number of confrontations between state forces and criminal forces are still very high. So now that Mexico's president has publicly said he is open to these peace deals with the cartels, um, help us understand how likely it is that this idea would become a reality. Um, the reality is it is already become a reality under this and current administrations as well. Um, so you have um, a routine engagement um, on an informal level um, outside of the law between um, state, including military forces and these armed groups. They negotiate their permanence, they share territory, and sometimes this is driven by um, agendas of self-enrichment that are well um, present within the state. So on an informal level, we really have that. Okay. Now, um, the difference now is that Lopez Obrador is coming out and saying publicly that he would be willing to engage in such a way in order to get violence down. So you're saying that they already have had this administration and previous administrations some sort of peace deals, but it hasn't necessarily curbed the violence. Yes, exactly. So the problem has been under this administration uh, specifically that essentially uh, criminal groups, um, some of which um, I talked to as part of my work, um, have been told, including by the armed forces, that if they curb spectacular violence, public violence, shows of force that make the headlines, mm -hmm. that they will be granted leeway to govern their own territories. Um, the problem is that this can be a part of a pacification strategy, mm -hmm. but that this and uh, previous administrations haven't formulated a long-term plan of how to unwind criminal power for which you would need disciplinary tools to rein in um, their power over populations. Okay, so in, in about the last 30 seconds we have, I just want to know what you think then ultimately needs to happen to reduce the violence in Mexico. Well, right now, I mean, the problems are so overwhelming that any administration coming in will find it really, really hard to have the financial and institutional tools at hand to mm -hmm. meet all of these challenges across the board wholesale. And what they would need to do is to focus and uh, oh. concentrate resources and efforts to specific regions that still produce the okay. bulk of lethal violence. Falco Ernst is a Mexico senior analyst with the International Crisis Group. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much for having me on. Smoke from Canadian wildfires continues to blanket much of the Northeast. The air quality is so poor that some school districts are canceling doing stuff outdoors. Officials in New York are scrambling to distribute a million N95 masks. NPR's Brian Mann traveled to a mountain research station where scientists are watching this crisis unfold. Scott McKim walks up a path in New York's Adirondack Mountains, just south of the U.S.-Canada border. This is our sensor field, so it's a little clearing within the wider forest. If this were a disaster movie, McKim would be out of central casting, a lanky scientist in a hoodie and blue jeans. As a meteorologist with the University at Albany, he's helped maintain these antennas and sensor arrays for nearly a decade. Intake tubes suck in air, tasting for pollutants, and most days, McKim says, they barely register. Overall, the air is super clean here. 
But as wildfires exploded across the border in Quebec, the first plumes of smoke swirled south on Saturday. Everything surged, black carbon, carbon monoxide, particulates. So this is pretty unprecedented. We haven't seen these spikes in the data in our historical record. As the numbers rose, McKim says the sky changed. Eerie, I guess is what I would call it. Um, any kind of shadow on the ground um, had an orange tinge to it. McKim takes me inside the monitoring station and he points to a real-time satellite map tracking the latest smoke plumes. All of this muted gray color covering western New York. The smoke is so dense, researchers think it's actually suppressing rainfall in this area, which is already drought-stricken. The smoke blocked so much sunlight, McKim says it cooled the earth, disrupting expected weather patterns. Because of that, um, we've seen very little of the predicted rain. It's wrenching to think this beautiful, dry forest could burn too, like the forests in Quebec. If this all feels hopeless, McKim points out this research project actually started because of another massive environmental threat. In the 1970s, when this atmospheric monitoring station got ginned up, it was all because of acid rain and pollution. McKim says science and public policy dramatically improved those problems. Now he says this mountain research outpost is on the front lines again. Brian Mann, NPR News in Wilmington, New York. Argentinian soccer legend Lionel Messi says he's coming to Miami, bienvenido a Miami. Messi has decided to come to the U.S. to play Major League Soccer with Inter Miami, and soccer fans in South Florida are thrilled. Joining us now to talk about all the excitement is Veronica Zaragovia with member station WLRN in Miami. Veronica, so is this as big as when LeBron James decided to take his talents to South Beach and play for the Heat? <laughs> Funny you should ask, because yes, it's a unifying thrill that this sports god is coming to our region here, but also with geography, everybody's saying that Messi's coming to Miami, but the stadium where Inner Miami plays is actually in Fort Lauderdale. But yes, it's, <laughs> it's a very exciting moment for everybody. And I mean, you've got to like just kind of walk around a bit and to kind of check out how excited people are. Oh, yeah. People's faces have been lighting up from the moment the news started spreading till it got confirmed. And I walked into a Pelé soccer store yesterday early afternoon on Miami Beach. And there the manager was already using this heat press machine to put Messi's name and the number 10, which was his number with Argentina and the World Cup and with Barcelona on the back and um, of these pink jerseys for Inter Miami. And at the store, I met a fan, Christopher Long. I just found out that Messi's going to Inter Miami. That's crazy. Yeah, now I'm going to try to get tickets. They're going to think uh, Inter Miami is the biggest club now in MLS, so now we got to prove it now in the season, winning the games and make David Beckham proud. <laughs> MLS, baby, champs, let's go. <laughs> and he's referring, of course, to the retired soccer player David Beckham, who is one of the owners of Inter Miami. And the team could really use Messi right now. They're last in the MLS Eastern Conference standings. So, yeah, because he could go anywhere in the world. So why pick Inter-Miami? Well, he gave an interview to a Spanish news uh, company called Mundo Deportivo, and he said he didn't want to repeat the bitter exit from FC Barcelona in 2021 when they didn't have the money to keep him. 
And Messi also said he's ready to leave European soccer, especially after winning the World Cup for Argentina. And then also having a family has really influenced his decision. He talked a lot about wanting to spend time with his sons and enjoy day-to-day life. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, he could have gotten a lot of money going to Saudi Arabia. What is Miami offering Messi? Well, we don't know exactly the amount of money involved yet. He said in that interview that the deal is still being ironed out. But The Athletic reported that it could include a piece of the MLS and Apple's broadcast partnership and the option to own an MLS team in the future. And while the Saudi Arabia deal, according to The Athletic, would have paid him $400 million per year. So maybe geography and being closer to Argentina while being here in Miami won out over the cash. And plus, Miami has the largest population of people from Argentina in the U.S., so he'll definitely fit right in. There you go. So when will people see him in the new kit? Well, to figure that out, I checked for that on SeatGeek. It's a website to buy tickets. And starting July 21st, the ticket, the cheapest one, is already $530, and that's for the standing area. They usually cost about $20, and the price goes up into the thousands for some games from there. And we checked ticket sales with other MLS clubs that are playing in Miami later this summer, and prices have jumped already fivefold, and that's for people to see Leo Messi play. That's Veronica Zaragovia with member station WLRN in Miami. Veronica, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Later today on All Things Considered, California ricocheted from extreme drought to extreme floods this year. Now those floodwaters could help recharge a precious supply of fresh water. Listen where you are, on your phone, your computer, your smart speaker, or on the good old radio. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by BioNova Scientific a CDMO providing development and GMP manufacturing services for biologics. BioNova Scientific, where concept becomes cure. Members of the Massachusetts Energy Marketers Association, committed to reducing carbon emissions with clean, renewable bioheat fuel, mybioheat.com. And Loomis Sales, searching globally for value in both traditional and alternative investments to pursue attractive, sustainable returns for clients, loomissales.com. What are the biggest threats to democracy? Well, misinformation, voter suppression, and how about the steep decline of local journalism? I'm Elsa Chang. WBUR and NPR believe that public media is the enduring future of local reporting. But we won't win the fight on our own. We need more member dollars to be your eyes and ears when important decisions are made, to bring more diverse voices into the conversation, and to be the ones to hold power to account. Become a member today at WBUR.org. This is Morning Edition on WBUR, and this is the final day of our brief June fundraiser when we're adding 700 people as monthly contributors. Be one of them now and take advantage of a triple match that's being offered by a group of generous WBUR listeners who want you to be part of the foundation of WBUR's future. A moment ago, you heard one of those familiar voices you depend on from NPR for facts and un 
unbiased, independent news. Think about all the other names you know because you listen every morning. Steve Brown, Anthony Brooks, Walter Wuthman, Ron Elving, Tamara Keith, and Amory Sievertson, who's here with me now and is going to take over in just a second. But first, I'm going to say that here at WBWAR, we know it's our job to be people that you trust. And everything we do is geared toward that fact. We work for no one but you. And if there's a story out there we think you should know, nothing stops us from bringing it to you. Listeners contrib- Listener contributions fuel that work. They literally literally keep us going, even though I seem to be having trouble talking. You make <laughs> WBUR possible when you contribute monthly. That is the best way to support WBUR, especially now when whatever you give will be tripled for WBUR for the next year. So please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Okay, Amory, I need to recover. I, I hope you can hear the passion in Rupa's voice. I have the privilege of getting to see it, you know, and I and I feel it too. We all really, we care about this kind of journalism, this kind of storytelling, this kind of rigor, this kind of commitment to the truth, to bringing it to you. We take that very seriously. And and we know that you take it seriously, too. That's why you listen to WBUR. That's why we are your trusted news source. And the fact of the matter is, on this last day of the fundraiser, when you have a chance to have your contribution be tripled, the fact is... You know, WBUR is not guaranteed. As as long as we exist, we will be free and available to everyone be, because we believe that everyone has a right to the truth. But but we need you to secure our future. You know, we we the listeners make up the vast majority of the of the funding that makes everything that we do possible. So we don't exist without you. We're asking you to to get behind us to make sure that WBUR is here, not just for you and for your neighbors, but truly for the next generation going forward. You know, protect public media. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. Go to WBUR.org because right now your contribution is tripled. Your $15 a month becomes $45 a month for a year. Your, you know, $20 a month becomes $60 a month for a year. This is this is the real thing. These are real generous listeners who have stepped up to say it matters that you're behind us. We're going to triple it. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Think about all the stories you're depending on us to bring you, helping you understand how did we get here? What's coming next? Governor Healy's administration, Mayor Wu's policies and priorities, the unpredictable road to the White House in 2024. Oh, how about the ongoing issues at the MBTA and why getting around Boston is getting so challenging? We tell you what's happening, why it's happening, and when you hear that from us, you know it's information you can trust. Support that important work that makes up the fabric of our informed community. Make sure it's there for the future because our future is not guaranteed. We cannot say that enough. You are our insurance policy. We know we'll have the resources we need to bring you the news in the future because we have you backing us. And when you step up and give now, your contribution will be tripled. This is important. This is the last day of the fundraiser. We need you to secure our future by giving monthly now when your contribution will be tripled. So it's WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I did that fast. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. We will be so grateful for your support. Thank you so much. Support for NPR comes from this station. 
And from Fisher Investments, Fisher Investments' team of specialists offer guidance on investing, retirement income, and Social Security. FisherInvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. From UMA, a cloud-based phone service for any size business with an automated virtual receptionist, video meetings, and other features to connect to customers and coworkers anywhere at uma.com slash NPR. From Progressive Insurance, Progressive is looking for individuals in a variety of career fields who want to help build a culture of inclusiveness. More information, including application, at progressive.com slash careers. And from the Doris Duke Foundation. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. The war in Ukraine and NATO are expected to dominate today's meeting at the White House between President Biden and British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. NPR's Lauren Freyer is in London. The U.K. is the second largest contributor of military aid to Ukraine behind the U.S., and it's the second largest contributor to NATO, too. So those two topics are expected to dominate U.K. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's talks with President Biden. Sunak is likely to ask Biden to support the U.K. defense minister to be the next head of NATO. And he'll ask Biden to back the idea of a global artificial intelligence watchdog based in London, something the European Union may not go for, though. This visit is also a about optics. After Boris Johnson, Brexit, and political turmoil, Sunak is looking for a photo op with Biden that shows Britain is still an essential U.S. ally. Lauren Fryer, NPR News, London. Biden and Sunak are expected to hold a joint news conference this afternoon. The White House says President Biden is ordering more personnel and firefighting equipment be sent to Canada, where dozens of wildfires continue burning out of control. Smoke from the fires is producing hazy skies and poor air quality in much of the eastern half of the U.S. The poor visibility created by the smoke is disrupting airline flights in some cities, including New York. This is NPR News. This is WBUR in Boston. I'm Rupa Shanoi. The state's new fiscal year begins in three weeks. House and Senate negotiators are just starting to work out differences in their budgets, but both sides say they're optimistic they'll be able to meet the July 1st deadline. Senate Ways and Means Chairman Michael Rodericks noted that this is the fifth conference committee he's served on with the same leaders from the House. I'm confident that as The prior four, we will get through this and produce a very responsible, uh, balanced budget that provides good resources for the constituents and the citizens of the constituents we all represent and the citizens of the Commonwealth. The Senate budget proposal is just under $56 billion. The House version is just over $56 billion. Quincy-based Compass Medical was trying to merge with another company before filing for bankruptcy earlier this week. Sources with Atrius Health tell the Boston Globe it planned to purchase the company before the deal fell through last month. Compass shut down its operations on the South Shore abruptly last month. That left 70,000 patients scrambling to find new health care providers. Governor Healy is calling for more access to mental health care for members of the LGBTQ community. She made those comments yesterday at the raising of a rainbow pride flag at the State House. Members of the state's LGBTQ plus legislative caucus were on hand. That includes State Senator Julian Sear of the Cape and Islands. We must protect 
fundamental freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution. Freedom of expression, of bodily autonomy, of choice, of parentage, of medically accurate inclusive health care and curricula, of access to gender affirming care, and of loving who the hell you want to love. Governor Healy added that she's looking forward to marching in Boston's Pride Parade on Saturday. It's 8.35. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by schooner Grace Bailey. You can sail the coast of Maine with Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the good place actor Mark Evan Jackson. Learn more at sailgracebailey.com. The Red Sox made three errors in their loss to the Guardians last night. Boston fell to Cleveland 5-2. to The teams will wrap up their three-game series tonight. Overcast with highs in the mid-60s today, there's a chance of mid-afternoon showers. Tonight, still overcast with more rain possible and in the low 50s. Tomorrow, about the same as today, overcast and highs in the mid-60s. There's a good chance of showers and thunderstorms in the evening and overnight. It's 57 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Hint, maker of fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners. Hint's 25 flavors include blackberry, coconut, and blueberry lemon. In stores or at hintwater.com. From your part-time controller, specializing in nonprofit accounting. Your part-time controller helps nonprofit organizations with their accounting needs, remotely or in person. More at yourparttimecontroller.com. And from the Doris Duke Foundation. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Rupa Shanoi. There's a national conversation going on about the rights of transgender people. We wanted to bring you the voice of someone grappling with those issues here in Massachusetts. Michael Sennett is a Catholic church staffer who's been advocating for inclusion and leading an effort to make his own community more welcoming. I'm Rupa. Nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. He's communications director at the Jesuit Parish of St. Ignatius of Loyola near Boston College's campus. Senate grew up in the Hyde Park neighborhood and attended St. Adelbert Parish down the street. When he was 17, he made a confession to a priest. I came out to the priest and I said, I'm transgender and I want forgiveness. And he looked at me. He took a minute. Then the priest told Senate that being trans isn't a sin. And he made me promise that I would always advocate for a seat for myself at the table, even when it got difficult, because he said there would be a lot of people who wouldn't want me in Catholic spaces. That conversation set him on a path to find a way to align his faith with his identity. He joined St. Ignatius right out of college, writing newsletters and, after the pandemic hit, organizing the broadcasts of sermons on Zoom. With the support of the pastor at the time, Joseph Constantino, Senate helped start a committee focused on LGBTQ plus Catholics. So we did a session on um, LGBT Catholics who are black and We had speakers, so we've really tried to reach out to people on the margins, wherever they are and whoever they are. An annual interfaith service marking the Trans Day of Visibility, called the Mass of Belonging, became a cornerstone of their efforts. Many of the pews in the large church were full when Constantino spoke at the event in 2021. People feel 
that they've been ostracized, marginalized, othered, even in our church. And that should churn us up. Certainly, homophobia, transphobia should churn us up. It felt very empowering that we could invite people to come together and support one another and to not have them feel excluded. And the more that we say, we're here, we're not going anywhere, it's so important for the visibility. But it's not clear how much support Senate's inclusion work has from regional church leaders or if it has a future. Last year, the Boston Archdiocese created a committee to craft guidelines for gender identity in its schools and parishes. Similar committees at a handful of other archdioceses nationwide have required people to use their birth names and conform to the pronouns and dress codes associated with their gender assigned at birth. Senate says he was invited and then uninvited to testify to the Boston committee. In February, the National Catholic Reporter did a story about that and the committee's work. Then the committee chair, Bishop Mark O'Connell, reached out to Senate. The bishop when we spoke on the phone, told me that at the time he and the committee just weren't ready to speak to trans people. An archdiocese spokesman said in an email that the work of the committee is incomplete, but its members are going through a, quote, thoughtful and collaborative process. He declined to comment further. Senate still has concerns. Part of me still worries that a lot of the anti-trans voices will have a bigger seat at the table um, than that of trans people and that of our advocates and allies. Senate hopes the committee recognizes that trans kids need to feel protected and supported in school and church. They need to know that they are wonderfully and purposefully made as they are because that teaching can do a lot of damage to think that they're disobeying God or that they're sinning for being who they are. Senate has decided to move on from St. Ignatius. He says he feels like he could accomplish more in his inclusion work somewhere else. What happened with the Archdiocese Gender Guidelines Committee was a factor in his decision, he says, but not the main catalyst. His last day is tomorrow. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by Gentle Giant Moving and Storage Company, offering professional, local, long-distance, office, and piano moving with 23 locations nationwide. GentleGiant.com. This is Morning Edition on WBUR, and this is the final day of our brief June fundraiser when we're bringing on 700 people as monthly contributors. And what you need to know is that you should act now because there is a triple match on the table and it's going to end soon. That means all you have to do is give and by the magic made possible by a group of generous WBUR listeners, it'll be multiplied by three for WBUR. That's three times the resources for WBUR, which is super important because WBUR's future is not guaranteed. And monthly contributions are the best way to support WBUR. Give at WBUR.org or call 
909-9287. I'm Rupa Shanoi, here with the host of the Endless Thread podcast, Amory Sievertson. Good morning, Rupa. And, you know, you know why, you know what you get from WBUR, rather. It's not just, you know, what the news of the day. It's stories like the one we just heard about someone trying to find a sense of belonging and create a sense of belonging. Stories that really help you understand um, humanity better, help you understand your neighbors better. Uh, that that it's, it's it's empathy building storytelling that you get here, um, and and everything is you know fact checked, fact based, independent journalism. It's so important to protect that as a news source, you know, the free of of outside influence. We are beholden only to you, the listener, and we hope that you feel that sense of responsibility towards us too, because you make up the largest percentage of the funding that makes WBUR possible. We don't exist without you. And how rare is it to have have an opportunity of all of the things that feel out of control in our life, out of our control, rather, in our life. This is something that you can protect. You can protect by taking a stand right now by saying, you know what, I'm going to give $10 a month to WBUR. With this triple match on the table that will not last for very much longer, with this triple match, that will become $30 a month for WBUR. If you can give $20 a month, that's going to become $60 a month for WBUR. It's the last day of the fundraiser. It's the last day to have your voice heard to protect WBUR. So have it go three times as far. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org is the website to do it. And when you support WBUR, you support stories like the one that you just heard about a Catholic Church staffer here in Boston who's trying to make his community more inclusive and struggling. Those are voices. His is one of those voices that you don't hear unless WBUR brings it to you. That's what we can do here at Public Radio. That's why we work here. We're asking you to not take that for granted. Don't take WBUR for granted. And that might be tough when we are there for you reliably, without fail, every morning. But we need you to make sure WBUR has a future. That means acting now on this last day of fundraising while this triple match is still on the table because it is going away soon. WBUR never requires you to pay a fee to listen to your favorite programs or read stories on WBUR or maybe listen to a podcast or sign up for a newsletter. That makes us really different from a lot of other media. And as a public radio station, we don't have commercials. We don't have a paywall. Instead, we count on voluntary monthly contributions from our listeners to fuel our mission. And not just fuel it. Listener contributions make up the largest share of our support. They make up the largest share of the resources that make us possible. And WBUR is a shared resources resource. Shared resources need shared investment from the people who value them. Show you value WBUR and what you get from WBUR every morning and throughout the day. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. There's only one. This is the last day left in this in this fundraise, June fundraiser. It was a short fundraiser, and this is the last day. And we don't know when this triple match is going to run out. So take action quickly. 
Go give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Yeah, everything that you have heard on WBUR this morning was made possible by a listener who stepped up. Someone who said, I can give my $10 a month. I can give my $15 a month. I can give my $20 a month. So join them. Don't sit on the sidelines. If you can give, it's only fair that you do, that you pitch in. That $10 a month will become $30 a month. That $20 a month, it becomes $60 a month. If you can give $100 a month, that's going to become $300 a month if you give right now. That triple match is not going to last, so do it right now for WBUR. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Vertex committed to making a difference in biotech to create and deliver innovative therapies for people with serious diseases. Career opportunities at VRTX.com. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Asma Khalid. I'm Martinez. And I'm Leila Faldin. U.S.-Saudi ties have been fraught since U.S. intelligence found that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman approved the operation that ended up killing Saudi-American journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Human rights organizations have called out the kingdom's record of mass executions and jailing critics. But President Biden visited Saudi Arabia last year, and this week he's dispatched his top diplomat, Antony Blinken, to steady the relationship. Meanwhile, Iran reopened its embassy in Riyadh in a step toward normalizing relations between two regional powers vying for supremacy. For more on the Saudi perspective on all of this, I spoke earlier with Fahad Nazar, spokesman for the Saudi embassy in Washington, D.C. Much like President Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia last July, I think that Secretary Blinken's visit is a testament to the strength and the importance of bilateral relations between Saudi Arabia and the United States. This longstanding partnership has withstood the test of time. I want to pivot for a moment to Iran. Um, Saudi Arabia and Iran have long been on opposite sides of many regional tensions or regional conflicts, but Iran reopened its embassy in Saudi Arabia. How does this new era look between Saudi Arabia and Iran going forward? Over the past two years, Saudi officials have had several rounds of talks with Iranian officials that did culminate in an agreement in Beijing in China back in March where we did agree to restore diplomatic relations with Iran and reopen our embassies. Uh, We're certainly hopeful that this does represent a new chapter in our relations uh, with Iran. Now, Iran, a Shia Muslim-majority nation, and Saudi Arabia, a Sunni Muslim-majority nation, have long been on opposite sides of conflict in the region. There's the Saudi-led war against the Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen, where Saudi-led airstrike campaigns have killed thousands of civilians. There's Syria, where Iran supported President Bashar al-Assad as he repressed dissent, and Saudi Arabia backed his opponents in a civil war that's killed hundreds of thousands. Now, Assad was welcomed back to the Arab League, an alliance of Arab nations, as Saudi Arabia and allies resumed diplomatic ties. Meanwhile, Saudi Shia Muslim minority have faced persecution, mass arrests, and executions. I asked how restoring relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia might change any of this. We adhere to a set of principles that have allowed us to enjoy good, if not excellent, relations with the overwhelming majority of countries around the region. We are supporting the United Nations in its effort to restore peace and stability in Yemen. We're engaged with all the relevant parties there on the ground to advance a comprehensive political resolution. We are the top provider of humanitarian assistance as of last count. We've provided $17 billion in humanitarian aid 
and uh, for reconstruction projects in Yemen. And in Sudan, we are trying to advance a political resolution. We are certainly encouraging the two sides to sit down at the table and to uh, try to resolve their differences. We've hosted talks in Jeddah uh, that were co-sponsored uh, with the United States. We are promoting a political resolution to the conflict that protects and preserves Syria's sovereignty and independence and territorial integrity. We also want to make sure that humanitarian aid gets to uh, the people who need it in Syria and that the millions of refugees who have left Syria or have been internally displaced can go back safely. Although Saudi's role in Yemen would be very different than its role in Sudan and Syria, for example, since it was directly involved in in the war in Yemen. But I want to talk about the unresolved concerns that Saudi has when it comes to Iran that the U.S. shares. Iran's nuclear program, as well as Tehran's drones and missiles, which the U.S. says were behind a major attack on Saudi oil facilities in 2019. How do you resolve those concerns now? In many ways, mm-hmm. the agreement in uh, in Beijing, it's the beginning of an ongoing conversation. It does not resolve all of our differences with Iran, and we have certainly made our concerns known about Iran's uh, nuclear uh, program. We are in alignment with the United States. I think there's no daylight between us when it comes to that issue. Now, one place that the U.S. and Saudi Arabia have not been fully in alignment has been on Saudi Arabia's human rights record. And one of the reasons that ties were severed between Saudi Arabia and Iran was the execution of Saudi Shia cleric Nimit and Nimit, who criticized the monarchy-led anti-government protests. Saudi's treatment of its minority religious sects, like Shia Muslims, has continued to be seen by human rights groups as poor, mass executions continued. Has that been something that has come up in these discussions with Iran as relations are restored? So... Islam, which is the the foundation of our value system and laws, teaches us to treat all human beings with respect and compassion. So respect for human rights is, in fact, enshrined in our basic law, which is the equivalent of our constitution. We are signatories to several or actually many international agreements on the treatment of women, on the treatment of children, people with disabilities, and the list goes on. Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, others have criticized Saudi Arabia for using overly broad provisions within the judicial court system and terrorism laws to suppress dissent and target religious minorities. Some of the cases where people refer to some of the the, the people who were on trial as, uh, as activists were in fact hardened criminals that had blood on their hands. Saudi Arabia has adopted a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to terrorism and extremism of all sorts, regardless of whether they're Sunni or Shia. I mean, obviously, this is viewed very differently among human rights groups who are documenting those cases, but I want to talk about oil prices now. Um, I know that they spiked after Saudi Arabia announced a cut to its output, then eased due to anticipated weaker energy demand, are back up. What do you expect to be the long-term impact of these cuts? The kingdom has played a central role really for decades in stabilizing global energy markets. We have always supported production levels that are fair to both producers as well as consumers. The decisions that we've made, including the decision to reduce production back in October, has uh, proven to be wise, evidenced by the fact that prices have actually continued to decrease. They have not skyrocketed as some people were predicting. And again, if you look at the price of oil compared to other fuels like natural oil and and coal, it's been remarkably 
stable and consistent going back uh, over the past two years. That's Fahad Nazar, Saudi Arabia's spokesman at the embassy here in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Boston Foundation. Knowing it will take all of us to improve lives and strengthen communities, the Boston Foundation partners with leaders, movers, and changemakers to close opportunity gaps, advance equity, and power a better Boston. Learn more at tbf.org. Cloudy skies may give way to rain this afternoon. Temperatures will rise to the mid-60s. Tonight, more rain possible, and it falls to the low 50s. Then tomorrow, an overcast Friday in the mid-60s with a good chance of showers and thunderstorms in the evening. Right now, it's 57 degrees in Boston at 854. WBUR supporters include Bowery Boston with LCD sound system, Jamie XX, Idols, and more at the stage at Suffolk Downs, Saturday, June 17th. More at ResetConcertSeries.com. Thanks for listening to Morning Edition this morning on WBUR. We're in the last stretch of our June fundraiser. Again, this is the last day, the final day, and there is a triple match on the table for just a bit longer, but time is running out. We need you to act now. Our goal is for 700 people to become monthly contributors. A group of WBUR listeners have stepped up to triple whatever you give because they know how important it is to grow the community of people who give monthly monthly to WBUR. Monthly contributions help us plan for what we bring you in the future. They are stability. They are reliability. Listener contributions are the largest share of our funding. And this is not the same old ask for your support. Our funding is still not back to where it was before the pandemic. And at the same time, journalism, especially local journalism, has been gutted. Now more people are turning to public radio and WBUR specifically for vital news reporting. But we need your help to sustain this service. So please give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. I'm Rupa Shanoi, Morning Edition host, here with Amory Sievertson, the wonderful host of the podcast Endless Thread. Oh, Rupa, it's so great being here with you. And, you know, I I really do. I know that, you know, these fundraisers, nobody wants to interrupt our programming with these kinds of reminders. But you know what, if that's what it takes, it's, it's important for you to know how important you are to us. I think it's easy for you to forget on the other end of your radio there that we don't exist without you, plain and simple. We you are the public and public radio. We need you to stand up and protect this kind of journalism as a resource, this kind of, you know, you know, rigor- rigorously researched and produced um, journalism, stories well told, interviews well crafted, thoughtful questions asked, holding truth to power. That matters to you. We know that it does. And here's Meghna Chakrabarty, host of On Point, of course, talking about just how important this kind of journalism really is. Sometimes I think to myself, when I was a kid, what were the things in my life or my family's life that I, that we couldn't live without? Right. There are always this, the standards. There's food, shelter, warmth, clothing, love, security, education. Those are safety, of course. Those are constants. But as time goes on and life changes and technology develops, I look at my kids now and I think to myself, there's another new thing that really I don't think they can live without. 
And that is an information ecosystem where they can trust what they're being told, where they read and hear things from sources that they know are actual facts, where they're not being lied to. And it's become so essential, I would say, in modern life that it is not quite like the air we breathe or the water that we drink, but it is it is what flows through our minds and it shapes our realities and therefore shapes our lives. So trying to keep that information ecosystem as vibrant and healthy as possible, it takes all of us. It takes the journalists who are doing the work. Uh, it takes you know, everyone who works behind the scenes at a place like WBUR. And it takes, quite frankly, the the funds to keep that going. Think about maybe looking at your bank balance and suddenly seeing it triple. Or maybe looking <laughs> at your paycheck and suddenly it's three times as big. That's what you do for WBUR when you give right now because we have a triple match on the table from w, a group of WBUR listeners who think it is so important for you to give monthly and be part of the group of WBUR listeners who sustain WBUR's future. WBUR will always be a free public good available to anyone and everyone, and that is so important to us and to you. But our long-term sustainability is not guaranteed. We are increasingly relying on financial support from our listeners. When you give $10, $20, or $30 a month, you provide a more secure future for WBUR, especially now when what you give will be tripled. You help create a more informed community in Boston and beyond, and we know how important informed communities are right now. We see it in our elections. We need facts to drive our democracies and make our communities work. So make a meaningful monthly contribution that will make Boston an even better place for everyone. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Babson College. Hone your business skills at the school ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News & World Report. Build your success story at babson.edu success. I'm Radio Boston host Tiziana Deering, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station.